us pray. Father, we thank you uh, that um, everything that we just recited is true, that you are, are both uh, Almighty and our Father, that, that Jesus is both God and man and uh, all the other things we're going to look at through this, throughout this series. Father, we ask that you would speak to us this evening as we reflect on the works of your Son. Uh, may, may we behold them with new eyes. May they, they cut us and yet also cause us to rejoice in your great love for us. Would you speak through me now? And uh, may you be glorified in our time together. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, I do not know who came up with the saying, familiarity breeds contempt. But I am pretty sure that they were in the radio business. Uh, I mean, how could you, you not begin to have some level of disinterest or contempt when you hear the same song over and over and over again? You will either physically change the channel or you will just mentally check out and, and disengage and think about something else. And I know for those of us who have been in the church, perhaps for our whole lives, we often do this when we talk about the works of Jesus. We've heard it so many times that we have almost a, a disinterest in it. It seems so basic. Why can't we just skip over it and go to more advanced things? And if that's you, can I ask you not to tune out what we're going to talk about this evening because you're familiar with the story? See, we don't rehearse the story of Jesus' death and resurrection just to try and convince you that it happened or, or that it's a big deal. We do so to invite you to rejoice in it, whether it's the first time you've heard it or the hundredth. And so tonight we're going to look at the works of Jesus. Now, Jesus' entire life and ministry here on earth uh, was saving work, but we're really going to zero in on his magnum opus, uh, which is really his suffering in our place. And it's quite strange to talk about someone's chief work in life as uh, was suffering. And so we really need to start with why Jesus suffered. And to do that, we need to pick up the conversation we started last week. Uh, if you were here last week, you'll remember that we said that the world's greatest problem on a cosmic scale uh, is that um, heaven and earth have been separated, they have been divorced because of our rebellion, which we call sin. And you may also remember that, that when we say heaven and earth, we aren't talking about up there and down here. Uh, heaven is God's space and earth is our space. In the beginning, they were perfectly aligned, but our rebellion separated them and put them in opposition to each other. And we also said that there's a, a place that these two spaces were able to overlap and intersect, which was the temple. Uh, there God and man could coexist. But I didn't answer an important question, and maybe some of you picked up on it. How is that possible? See, God's space reflects his character. It's filled with love and beauty and justice, whereas our space is full of rebellion and justice and, frankly, ugliness. The two are diametrically opposed to each other, so how in the world could they ever overlap? And the answer, as bizarre as it is, is animal sacrifices. It seems barbaric to us, but somehow when an animal was sacrificed at the temple, they absorbed the sin. And when they died, they created a clean space, if you will, that allowed man to be in God's presence. Now, the problem was uh, animal sacrifices weren't that uh, effective, if you will. Uh, if you've read through the first five books of the Bible, you've read the sections that detail what type of sacrifice goes with what type of sin. 
or mistake. And, and so while animal sacrifices created a clean space, it was really only a temporary one. Uh, that is, once again, until Jesus stepped onto the scene. Uh, last week we looked at John 1 and saw how Jesus himself is the, the temple, the place where heaven and earth meet. But that's not the only way that Jesus is described in that chapter. Uh, in John 1, 29, uh, John the Baptist uh, declares about Jesus, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you see what he's saying? That Jesus is the ultimate sacrificial lamb. That through the shedding of his blood, the sacrificing of his life, he absorbed our sin and made a, a clean space that we could be reconciled to God. It's as, first, as Peter says in 1 Peter 2.24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wombs you have been healed. And he was wounded in every way imaginable. As the creed says, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. He experienced unjust treatment at the hands of men. He suffered physical pain that we have never experienced. He was emotionally humiliated, hanging up there for all to see and to mock. And according to Galatians 3.13, Jesus was cursed on our behalf because he was hung on a tree. And after all of that, he did the most human thing possible. He died. And one of the great questions is what Jesus did for those three days while his body lay in the tomb. And the way the creed answers that is he descended into hell. And this line makes people uncomfortable, so much so that churches will actually remove it when they recite the creeds. Um, and, and part of that is because they, there really isn't any scriptural support for this statement. You can't find a verse that says that what the creed says. So why is it here? Well, it's trying to communicate an important fact that we miss because of this word hell. Uh, now the word hell here I is actually the word Hades, the place of the dead, which is not the place of eternal torment that we associate with the word hell. Uh, we need to realize that a trip to Hades was a one-way trip. Uh, once you were in death's grasp, you were not getting out. But Jesus did, right? And that's why that line is here. Jesus was in the clutches of death, and yet he overcame it. Jesus was raised on the third day. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From, where he, from there he will come to judge the living and the dead. It's a statement of victory. And in the remainder of our time, I want, I want to unpack for us the three results of his suffering. And the first is victory over death itself. Uh, one of the church fathers, okay, by the way, when I say church fathers, it's just very prominent pastors in the first couple hundred years of the life of the church. So one such guy was a guy named Athanasius, and he put it like this. If you see a child out in the desert playing with a lion, you can conclude that either the lion is dead or he is completely powerless. Death is the lion. And like the children, we don't have to be afraid of it anymore. Paul puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 55. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? We don't have to fear death because in Jesus there is life on the other side of it. The second result of his suffering is his universal rule and, and availability. And that's really the 
point of the ascension. Jesus wasn't escaping back to God's space because he accomplished his work, but rather he, he was going to be enthroned. And one day every knee will bow before the king. But, but just think about the problem we know with animal sacrifices and frankly with the temple itself. They were both temporary and localized. They only helped you if you were close by. But ascending into heaven, it was a statement of his uh, universal availability, that, that Jesus' cleansing work was available to all. It doesn't matter if you are male or female, Jewish or not, Jesus is Lord of all and is available to all. And the final result of his suffering is that Jesus will come to judge. And that's something that I feel is often presented negatively in the church. It will say something like, Jesus is coming, and you better hope your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And if you make it past that judgment, then, then Jesus is going to send all of your works through a fire, and only the worthwhile stuff will stick around, so you better hope you have some good stuff, or you're going to be ashamed for eternity. Uh, that's at least how I grew up hearing it. And yet the judgment of Jesus is actually something that should bring us great joy, not terror. It's part of what makes the good news of the gospel good news. See, Jesus' judgment means that he will one day set all things right. When Jesus returns, heaven and earth, God's space and our space, will be reunited and we will live and work and delight in God's presence for eternity. And that is good news. And, and this is what Jesus accomplished in his work. And that really leads us to two questions. First, can you enter God's space? Remember that God is holy and, and God cannot be in the presence of sin. So how do you plan on standing before God? Are, are you depending on your good works to outweigh your bad? Because that's not going to cut it. The prophet Isaiah tells us that our good works are filthy rags before God. They do nothing to solve the problem. The only way you can enter into God's space is if you live in the, the clean space that Jesus made for you through his death. And the second question is really posed by Jesus himself. After he rose from the dead, but before his ascension, Jesus came to his disciples and said to them in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, All authority in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Here's what Jesus is saying. I am king. <laughs> and since I am king, I have been enthroned, given all power, and will come again. Therefore, there is work to be done. And the question for us is, are we doing it? Are we living like we serve the king, and that he's coming again to judge. Because this, this is why we believe that Jesus suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried, descended into hell, and was raised on the third day, ascended to the right hand of the Father, and will come to judge the living and the dead.